Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, it's Owen Jones. Welcome to the podcast. Today we're speaking to Richard Bergen, who's one of the most prominent left-wing Labour MPs and critics of the current Labour leadership. I want to talk to him about, is it all over for the Labour left? Is it is it game over? Uh, what's the future of the left? What's its message to the country? Uh, how can it ever regain influence uh, and, and power? Um, what's the strategy? Uh, what's the narrative? Uh, we talk about Keir Starmer. Did he lie to become leader? What's, uh, what's his future uh, as Labour leader? Uh, and we talk about a whole range of of other issues. I think it's really interesting and engaging stuff, so do listen. Do support us on patreon.com forward slash ownjones84, so we keep doing the podcast, the channel, the documentaries and everything we do with the incredible team who are all infinitely more talented than me. Or use the supporter function, which you can see in the podcast description. Uh, do leave us a review and some stars if you want to spread the word so the people listen. And uh, do subscribe. And with that, please listen to me chatting to Richard. Richard, it is an honour uh, to have you here. Uh, a fellow northerner, though, I'd say a more, you're more authentic northerner. I'm now a plastic northerner, having... I don't believe up. that. Don't be so unkind on yourself, Owen. I'm going, actually, back up in Sheffield, where I was born. I left when I was four, so I am a plastic Yorkshireman uh, for my brother's wedding. But, um, yeah, the north. Oh, yeah, I feel... I, how? I mean, obviously, you know, you've, you represent a northern constituency... You're a very, you've, you've kept your Northern accent far better than I have. I think you're a very proud Northerner. Oh, definitely. Uh, I'm proud of where I come from. But I remember one of my favourite folk musicians, Dick Gocken, once said, it's okay to be proud uh, about where you're from, but you should be proud of where everyone else comes from as well. So I'm a proud Northerner, but I'm not some kind of uh, Northern uh, nationalist, uh, if you know what I mean, somebody who, who has the kind of wrong ideas about class based upon an analysis of the North as opposed to the South. I love the North. I love Yorkshire. I love Leeds. I love where I'm from. Uh, but uh, I don't get carried away uh, with it uh, to uh, the exclusion of all else. I think that's a dangerous uh, path if we're not careful. Yeah, I agree. Well, less, uh, I don't know if that was a dig at the Northern Independence Party. Bless them. Very good at memes, but maybe not the grand success they expected. Just to begin, Richard. So I'll just throw this at you. I'll do a bam kind of... The left in the Labour Party is all over, isn't it? Game over. Every day, socialists are ripping up their membership cards. The leader, of the, La- the leadership of the Labour Party, they don't want people like you in the Labour Party. They don't want other people on the left. Uh, the 10 pledges Keir Starmer made to keep a lot of the domestic radical policies of the Corbyn era, they're all being abandoned. It's game over. They're never going to let the left anywhere near the leadership of the Labour Party again. There's my little doom and gloom thrown it at you. What's your response? I think there's actually reasons for optimism. 
And that may, may seem strange, but the fact that Jeremy became leader of the Labour Party shows that I think the left strategy remaining in the Labour Party and being involved as a left in the Labour Party and in wider social movements outside the Labour Party at the same time is the correct approach, in my opinion. I remember before Jeremy became leader of the Labour Party, people saying there's no point in being a left-wing member of the Labour Party. It's a waste of time. Uh, you're wasting your time, you're wasting everyone else's time. And actually the election of uh, Jeremy as leader, and then his re-election, and then the fact that we nearly won the 2017 general election showed, I think, that that does work. I understand, of course, that people feel despondent because the truth is that Keir Starmer and the leadership have actually shown a greater zeal for attacking the left of their own party than they have for holding the Tories to account. So it's no wonder that people feel down and despondent. Left members have been treated horrendously. Uh, you know, we've seen the way uh, this week uh, Ken Loach has been expelled from the Labour Party. We've seen the way that uh, Jeremy is a Labour member and a member of Parliament, but not a Labour member of Parliament. And of course, both Jeremy uh, needs to be reinstated to the PLP and Ken Loach needs to be back uh, in the Labour Party. So I can understand why people feel demoralised, but people felt uh, as bad as this uh, before. And then there were great advances for the left, both in the Labour Party uh, and more widely uh, electorally as well. Do you think Keir Starmer lied in his leadership campaign that the basis of which he stood, some would say he argued that he would be essentially a kind of more electable, uh, professionalised version of Jeremy Corbyn, keep a lot of the radicalism, unite the Labour Party, be electable. Do you think it was... Was it a a an in, was it an intentional, willful attempt to deceive and lie? If he'd uh, have said the kind of leadership he'd provide, he wouldn't have won that election. Uh, that's the truth. You know, I didn't support him; I supported Becky. But I do know uh, members on the left, uh, a minority, I suppose, members on the left, but a significant minority of members on the left who voted. Uh, for Keir Starmer uh, on the basis that you've just said. And, you know, that was wrong. You know, we were told really, I think the message from Keir during his leadership election was you get to keep the domestic economic policies uh, of Jeremy's leadership uh, and maybe some of the wider internationalist policies wouldn't be pursued in the same way. But that what isn't uh, what's happened. He said he'd be a, a unity leader, bringing the party together. Nothing could have been uh, further from the truth. They've actually waged war uh, on the left membership uh, of the Labour Party, and nothing delights the right-wingers around uh, Keir Starmer more than when left Labour members leave the Labour Party. It almost encourages bad behaviour. So the leadership carries out some kind of outrage uh, understandably, left members then feel further demoralised, left members leave, and actually that incentivises people like Mandelson and others to encourage the leadership uh, to take more and more uh, egregious uh, steps against the left because they get their reward, and their reward is uh, left members leaving. It doesn't teach them a lesson, or, well, it does, it teaches them the lesson that you carry on doing this because they benefit from it politically because it changes the balance of forces within the party. We had two by-elections, one in Hartlepool, in which Labour lost. Obviously, Labour, under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, actually kept that seat in 2017. Over half the electorate in the constituency voted Labour in that election. And in 2019, Labour's vote share fell in Hartlepool, but actually was still a higher vote share than 2015. And the Brexit party got a lower 
vote share in 2019 than UKIP won in Hartlepool in 2015. Uh, Batley and Spen, again, over half the electorate voted for Labour in 2017, fell again in, in, in 2019. And Labour kept onto that seat with the skin of its teeth. It was presented that as a grand victory for uh, Keir Starmer's uh, leadership, even though it was the lowest share of the vote for Labour in in generations in, in Batley and Spen, including when Labour haven't won that seat. Um, interesting response from, from some supporters of, uh, passionate supporters of Keir Starmer, who, for example, after I did a documentary there in which I interviewed candidates, including George Galloway, tried to pretend that I supported uh, a man I actually have nothing but contempt for. But but what what obviously having held on to Batley and Spen, albeit by the thinnest of majorities, which was spun as a great triumph, if that was extrapolated into a general election, Labour would lose dozens of seats and it really would be questions about whether the Labour would continue as a viable um party of government um based on the and, and the polling ever since. I suppose the question is some people would say When's it time up for Keir Starmer? And some on the left, on on, if I read my Twitter feed, will say, well, actually, the Socialist Campaign Group, which is the left grouping of the Parliamentary Labour Party, actually should be more out there agitating and, and demanding a change of leadership. But that hasn't been the strategy. So I'm just wondering, what is the thinking amongst left Labour MPs? Because I suppose it's it's not just that the the... The, uh, you know, the kind of argument of exchange some of your principles, but you're more likely to get power because at the moment Labour's polling is generally very bad. When does it become a question of just calling for a change of leadership? I think that if we hadn't have won in Batley and Spen, I think um, Keir Starmer would have been uh, on his way out. You know, I was very glad that we won in Batley and Spen. I went to campaign there. Uh, three times. But I do think we need to be honest and say that wasn't Keir Starmer's victory. If the candidate hadn't have been uh, Kim Leadbeater, who was very rooted uh, in the community and with her particular experiences, of course, the sister uh, of Joe Cox, but so much more besides, I don't think we would have won uh, that by-election. So it shouldn't have been seen as some kind of uh, grand endorsement or triumph for the Labour leadership showing their approach is correct. Now, in terms of uh, where we are now, obviously the opinion polls uh, aren't uh, in a good place. Um, and I do think it's a false, simplistic view that's put forward by uh, the leadership and people around it. The idea that it's, um, you know, principles or electability. Uh, someone uh, said uh, on Twitter um, the other day, somebody showed me that Keir promised uh, to be uh, Jeremy Corbyn um, and electable, but he's turned into a kind of unelectable version uh, of Tony Blair. And I think many people uh, had great sympathy with that analysis when they uh, saw it. In terms of the Socialist Campaign Group, I think it's useful to reflect upon the history of the Socialist Campaign Group. It was formed in 1982 uh, by Tony Benn. So it kind of represents the the Benite wing of the Parliamentary Labour Party and very much a bridge between the left in the Parliamentary Labour Party, the left in the membership, the left in the trade unions and the left in wider social movements, including the anti-war movement. It was from the Socialist Campaign Group that, of course, Jeremy's leadership uh, candidacy uh, emerged and he had three members of the Socialist Campaign Group, uh, Jeremy, John and Dan being the three key people uh, in the leadership uh, between 2015 and 2020. But the politics of the campaign group 
isn't homogenous. You know, there's a kind of majority of the campaign group. I think there's 34 Labour MPs who are in it. A majority of the MPs in the campaign group are kind of from that Benite, Corbynite, and McDonaldite kind of Dan Abbott tradition. Uh, but some don't have that exact same politics. They're on the left of British politics, yes, but it's not a homogenous group. So that's the uh, reality. Uh, people sometimes say to us, oh, why haven't you uh, challenged for the leadership? Well, of course, you need 40 MPs to challenge uh, for uh, the leadership. So even if that's something the group decided it wanted to do, uh, the group wouldn't have the, the numbers for that. But all the key rebellions uh, where on points of principle we've had to vote against uh, the three-line whip, uh, the campaign group you know, has been um, the core uh, of those rebellions and we're carrying on making the arguments uh, against uh, war, carrying on making the arguments for the kind of modern socialist leadership that we think we need, actually, not only because it's the right thing to do, because actually we do think that's the way to be electable. When we look at all the crises facing us in our society today, whether it be uh, the economy, whether it be the pandemic, whether it be uh, climate catastrophe, whether that be the threat of war, we actually think that a left approach has the answers to these huge problems. Uh, and another kind of, I suppose, critique of the Labour left, I mean, it's partly what kind of you alluded to there, which is the Labour left can't get its act together. It's divided amongst itself. Even the left grouping, the campaign group is hopelessly divided. There's no coherent strategy. There's no coherent narrative. It's become very introspective, talking you know, to an audience which has become ever diminished as people leave the Labour Party and not having a message which is aimed at a country in which actually objectively the polling shows millions of people support policies long associated with the left. So what would you say to that at the moment? The left, hopelessly divided, no obvious strategy, no clear message to the country, essentially talking to itself. I don't think that the, the left is hopelessly divided. Uh, it's often easy for our critics to say that we're somehow not speaking to the country and, and are just inwardly focused because we're often responding to attacks on the left within the Labour Party from the Labour leadership. But of course, we have no option other than to respond to those uh, attacks. But you're right, the important task for the left is speaking to the country. And we do believe that the left should feel confidence. And by the way, the socialist campaign group is both bigger. Uh, in number, and I think bigger uh, in influence and activity uh, than it was before Jeremy became uh, leader of the party back uh, in 2015. And so I understand that some people's um, take on the role of the campaign group uh, is influenced by the fact that during their years of political activity, uh, often because uh, the only uh, maybe uh, were uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, when Jeremy became leader. All they've known is the time of a left-led Labour Party and then a Keir Starmer-led Labour Party uh, afterwards. So that's the contrast that they see. Uh, but the left should be confident. On all the big questions, the left has been proven correct. And I don't say this to boast uh, or beat our chest about it. But when it... when I mean, let's look at the last 20 years, for example. If 20 years ago people had talked about the global pandemic, uh, an American intervention in Afghanistan, which has lasted longer than the Vietnam uh, War, uh, the fact that climate catastrophe uh, is happening now. All of these things would be seen as some, and the banking 
crash. All of these things would have been seen as something almost from a science fiction novel. But actually, it's the left that has got all of these big issues correct. And the left has got its uh, policy solutions there about the, the rotten system uh, that we're living under. So I think the left should be outward looking, should be confident. And as you say, uh, opinion polls show that regardless of which party people support, there's actually big support for lots uh, of left uh, policy uh, solutions. So I think the left needs to be uh, confident and we shouldn't allow ourselves to be uh, ghettoized. And that's why it does frustrate me when people think that the simple answer is to you know, set up a new uh, political party uh, all the time, you know, with no link to the trade unions. You know, you mentioned the Northern Independence Party uh, earlier. I'm sure that the people in it are very well-intentioned. Thelma Walker, for example, is a friend of mine. I have the greatest uh, respect for her. But after all that kind of social media fanfare, the polls 250 votes or so in the Hartlepool by-election. It's not long ago, in 2017, uh, that we were very close to taking state power in one of the most significant economies in the world. Uh, a country with a permanent seat on the United Nations Security Council. So I think as a left, despite the awful experience the left has had, despite uh, everything that's been thrown at us, despite people understand understandably feeling demoralised, we shouldn't allow ourselves to retreat to a kind of uh, irrelevance. Our aim as a left should be no less than uh, to take power in a socialist-led Labour government. You know, that's what we want to do. We shouldn't allow ourselves to be consigned to uh, the fringes. It's not long ago uh, that the establishment, uh, both domestically and internationally, was very alarmed at the real prospect of a real transformative, socialist-led, anti-internationalist government taking power in this country. That can happen again. That can happen again. But it won't be easy. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So what would you say the pitch to the country in 2021, obviously having gone through the biggest national emergency since the war, 150,000 people dead in this country, uh, as well as huge numbers of others suffered severe health consequences, the social economic consequences, the inequalities that were lit up, but also exacerbated during this crisis, everything from, you know, whether it be 
shows everything from who's most likely to die from COVID. It's people who are poorer, uh, whether it be uh, universal credit, um, whether it be uh, many of those in precarious jobs, whether it be the private rented sector. And there's a whole range of issues that have really been lit up. The key workers, of course, uh, undervalued and underpaid applauded and then look how they're being treated but what is the clear narrative the clear pitch you would say that the labor left has to the country in 2021 well i think the the narrative has to be based upon an updated version of the offer that was made to the country in 2017 the offer that saw us uh, make the only electoral advance of the labor party in a general election for around uh, two decades and actually the policies in the 2017 manifesto and the 2019 manifesto uh, are more relevant than ever uh, given the crisis uh, and given the divisions and inequalities uh, and misery that the crisis has not only uh, illuminated but as you say has exacerbated as well we need to update that policy offer as well and key to that has to be of course uh, a green new deal and i believe that people uh, want that kind of change uh, you know it's fundamentally necessary you know life on this uh, planet is at risk because of untrammeled free market capitalism and the truth is that capitalist solutions uh, won't provide uh, the solutions to uh, climate catastrophe so i think we need to look at the principles of the nhs and expand them the founding principles of the nhs to other areas of our economy now is that the way to sell it to the public no, it's not. You know, that's the kind of discussion I'm having uh, with you about what I think the theoretical basis uh, of our approach should be. I think we need to go back to what we did in 2017 uh, and have an updated version of that, which was bread and butter policies, which, imp which defend people's living standards, but also improve people's uh, living standards. I remember in the 2017 manifesto, uh, in 2017 general election, knocking on people's doors, and they knew our policies uh, before we could even tell them them uh, on the doorstep, which is the only time in a general election I've ever experienced that, because they were clear, because they were concise. So we need, you know, the practical policies on uh, a mass house building program, uh, building council houses. You know, a national minimum wage of fifteen pounds an hour, uh, more uh, employment rights, a green industrial revolution, uh, creating uh, so many uh, well-paid jobs in a new uh, green economy. I think these things will connect. Uh, with people. The importance of public transport, for example, uh, in public ownership, uh, the importance of stopping the final Americanization of our national health service so it becomes like an American-style healthcare system where they feel for your wallet before they feel for your pulse. All of these things are actually mainstream issues affecting people uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think the left can show bold leadership on that with bread and butter, practical policies which can gain support and get us into power. On Afghanistan, as you mentioned, now we've seen, obviously, after 20 years of direct Western intervention, military intervention on the ground, uh, the Taliban have now taken, retaken the whole of Afghanistan. In fact, more uh, than of the country than they had before 9-11, because the Northern Alliance held portions of the north of the country. So the Taliban now have ended up in more absolute control than they've ever had in the history of Afghanistan after 20 years of, of direct military intervention, huge numbers of dead, the West, of course, has a long history there, having backed and supported, armed the Mujahideen against the Soviets and the Soviet-backed government in the 1980s. 
uh, much of that funded uh, uh, that funding and military support went through the Pakistani secret services into the most extreme elements uh, with the consequences we have seen. Um, but I suppose, I mean, two things. Firstly, what what should the argument be in terms of refugees? Uh, because as is a country with a history of backing and supporting dictatorships, wars and so on, which create large numbers of people, well, drive people from their homes and yet then they're demonised afterwards. And the other thing is, doesn't this just show, again, that, I suppose not our impotence, but, you know, we've had Iraq, we've had Afghanistan, we've had Libya. All the arguments against those military disasters were horribly vindicated and that there's no, there's no uh, you know, triumphalism to, to be gained from that given the humanitarian catastrophe. But those people remain as dominant and as influential as ever. They're statesmen. They're touted as experts on television, as pundits, and those wars will keep happening. What does that tell us? Oh, it tells us the system's rotten, and it tells us that uh, too many politicians can't be trusted to make these uh, decisions. Um, as you say, the very people who have been proven wrong uh, on Iraq, uh, on Afghanistan, uh, and on Libya are wheeled out to advisors to take military action elsewhere, playing the Churchill and all this. It's all rather... Uh, pathetic. And I think what the Afghanistan experience shows, and it's been the longest American uh, intervention um, ever, you know, a longer uh, intervention uh, than uh, Vietnam. What it should make politicians in this country conclude is we need an independent foreign policy. No longer should we be just going along with whatever uh, the United States said. Uh, the anti-war movement warned about the consequences in Iraq. They were correct. The anti-war movement and the left warned about the consequences in Afghanistan, and sadly we were correct. And they warned about the consequences in Libya, and sadly we were correct. And as you say, we don't say this with any sense of triumphalism, but surely, surely it's time for a rethink as to what Britain's foreign policy is. I believe we need an independent uh, foreign policy based upon peace, uh, conflict resolution, um, uh, and, and, and human uh, rights and international cooperation. And that's more important than ever when you look at the threats uh, of climate change. So also we need to be uh, avoiding a developing Cold War with China. You know, we need to begin as much international cooperation as possible uh, to maintain uh, peace around the world and create peace around the world and maintain peace, but also to tackle uh, climate change. And so I just think that we're going to see in Parliament this week the same tired old speeches uh, from uh, Atlanticists uh, on the right of the Labour Party, uh, from right-wingers in the Conservative Party, uh, saying that we should maybe stay in Afghanistan or send troops back to Afghanistan. It's absolute madness. What we need uh, to be doing, amongst other things, is ensuring that people fleeing Afghanistan uh, can find safe passage to the UK. Because it's funny, uh, isn't it, that the politicians who are most keen on sending uh, other people's sons and daughters to war in other countries, the same politicians who tend to be uh, least enthusiastic about fulfilling our humanitarian obligations to take uh, refugees either uh, from those wars that they supported uh, or in general. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, of course, we need to provide safe passage to refugees from Afghanistan. But we really do need the political class to wake up 
uh, and learn the lessons. How many more lives have to be lost? How many more refugees need to be created? How many more disastrous foreign adventures need to take place before they sit up and think, we can't carry on like this? So I think uh, Britain needs uh, an independent foreign policy, independent of the United States, no longer the junior partner. And I think that the history uh, of the last 20 years, uh, and as well as before that, uh, actually shows that to be the case. Finally, just in terms of uh, the government, the Conservative government, I mean, what the Johnson government has done quite cleverly is mixed together, I suppose, a kind of populist form of nationalism with strategic investment. These aren't the Osborne Cameron Tories of cut, cut, cut. They're doing targeted spending at communities and particularly demographics, which they're trying to consolidate in their voter coalition. And what's opened up in society, which is difficult for us on the left often to, I suppose, come to terms with because our understanding of of division in society is based on class is an unprecedented generational divide has opened up in politics uh there's a unprecedented number of people under 40 in both the last elections voted labor an unprecedented number of people over 65 voting conservative and that's because partly home ownership has massively gone up amongst those over 65 they're mostly owner occupiers uh, quantitative easing and so on has pushed up house prices. They're rightly protected by the triple lock in pensions and they tend to be more socially conservative. That's just what the polling shows. Younger people, precarious, uh, often in the private rented sector, insecure jobs, indebted if they went to university, socially tend to be more progressive. That is, you know, so what, what the Tories have done is consolidate support amongst high voter engagement, older people, uh, and they're using targeted investment uh, in order to shore that coalition up. What does any flavour of the Labour Party do in that context? Because that is a huge problem that wasn't overcome in 2017, despite how close Labour got, 40% of the vote. Um, and obviously now it's got it's it's, it's deteriorating. So what 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 do you think that na- our narrative is as the left on that? Well, of course, we need to um, expand um, our electoral coalition. Uh, by getting more people from the older uh, age demographic to support us as well. But a word of warning in relation to that. We can't take our core vote for granted. And I think the Labour leadership is taking it for granted. So we've got to be clear. The Labour leadership can't take and shouldn't take the votes of young people for granted. It can't take and shouldn't take the votes of Muslim voters for granted, of black voters uh, for granted, of public sector workers for granted, of teachers for granted, of trade unionists uh, for granted. And I think one of the great mistakes uh, that Labour is making it is a mistake that actually it's not surprised to see it making, uh, again, the Labour leadership, because Peter, it's Peter Mandelson, who's obviously very close to Keir Starmer now, uh, who was of the kind of opinion in the 90s, oh, don't worry about Scotland and the North, uh, and Labour voters, they've got nowhere else to go. Well, if you take people for granted, eventually they do find somewhere else to go. Uh, maybe voting for another party, uh, it may be not voting at all. But I think what Labour needs to do, and the Labour leadership needs to do, is look at that electoral coalition that we put together in 2017, where we nearly won, and use that as a basis and seek to expand upon it. Because that coalition in 2017 was what I view. Uh, as the diverse modern working class, and by working class, I mean the majority uh, in society. And I think we need to expand and build upon that. So, of course, we need to 
get people who vote Tory or who don't vote uh, or vote for other parties to vote for us. But whilst we're going after those votes, we can't take people who voted for us, even in 2019, for granted. And I think that's what the uh, Labour leadership has done. And it's a perilous path. We saw where it led to uh, in Scotland uh, in 2015, and we can't allow that to happen in other areas of the country or in other uh, demographics uh, as well. Just finally, try and end on a high. Just very, very succinctly, what gives you the most optimism right now in the current climate? The thing that gives me most optimism in the current climate is that more and more people are demanding uh, a better society. People, especially young people, are demanding real action, not just rhetoric on climate change. Look at the huge campaigns against racism, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. Look at the uh, anti-war movements. All of these things uh, gave, uh, give me great hope. More and more people are experiencing, unfortunately, this rotten system, but they're not just experiencing it, and this is what gives me hope. They're not just experiencing it, they're starting to take action against it. So I believe the left can be confident. The left can be confident about the future because I think people, as a mass movement, are going to demand the better society we need. So we've got to ensure that we're plugged into that and don't separate ourselves from that. Richard, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you found that educational, interesting, engaging, and all sorts of other things. Do support us on patreon.com forward slash ownjones84. You keep doing the podcast and the channel uh, with our incredible team's work, or use the support function in the description. And do subscribe and leave us a review, please. Some stars, any of those things. Um, but otherwise, lots of love. Hope you well. Speak to you soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.